You are listening to a Laison Lumineur podcast. Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Laison Lumineur. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. This occasional series records our lectures and gallery talks, insights from new publications, and interviews with collectors and scholars. Our aim is to offer an ever-wider public tools for learning about the diversity of our activities and the breadth of our interests. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, this is Sandra Hindman. I'm here in Chicago today talking to Philip Hewitt Jabour, um, who is in Jersey. So we're a little bit far away from each other, but the telephone works well. Hi, Philip. Good afternoon. I perhaps should say I'm in Jersey in the Channel Islands. In the Channel Islands, yes, not New Jersey, but someplace much more exotic than that. So Philip has agreed to come and talk to us today. We have a series of podcasts. The podcast title for today is Masterpiece and the Future of Art Fairs. As many of you know, Philip is the director of Masterpiece, a fair that should be opening in just a little over a week, but for obvious reasons, isn't it? So, Philip, maybe you could start and tell us just a little bit about your background before running Masterpiece. Sandra, of course, I I will be delighted to do so. I've been very fortunate. I've had really rather an an interesting, and I think an exciting career. I sort of became interested in works of art as a child, my grandfather particularly, but my great uncles being serious collectors, collectors with a capital C, as it were, of uh, people who furnish with splendid objects, which is a different sort of way of doing things. And I started off life working at Sotheby's, having done the Sotheby's Works of Art course, which was in its second year when I was asked by the chairman, Peter Wilson, who probably one of the most remarkable figures in the um, modern, and I mean modern in terms of 20th century, art market. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, Peter Wilson is a legend, really. uh, He was a complete legend, and I mean, I was asked by him to do this course, and then I stayed on and worked at Sotheby's Belgravia in 1971, I think it was, 72, which was an auction house then which started to look at the very unfashionable Victorian period. And there were a small number of us, all very young, and we had this incredible opportunity to examine a pretty much unknown market and to try and make decisions to what was intellectually resonant and good, uh, whether the foundation objects were architect designed or sort of just reproductions, as it were. And so we had a tremendous opportunity to make a market and to promote a completely new uh, field in the art market, which was um, a really interesting experience. So in a way, um, I mean, Masterpiece is many years later, but from being at Sotheby's to running an art fair is not that big of a leap, really. Well, it it, it is not such a huge leap. And one of my great passions with all of this, apart from collecting myself, is really bringing this world alive to a group of people who may not be so familiar with it. And I think inspiring people to look and to learn 
get educated about works of art, possibly start collecting, is enormously exciting. And I think my experience of Sotheby's over the 10 years that I was there before I started what was then in those days a novel business, an art advisory and art consultancy business in 1980. So is Masterpiece really your baby? I mean, did you wake up one morning and say, the world needs a living, exciting, new and different kind of art fair? Let's call it Masterpiece. I'll do it. Um, no, I, I can't claim that, sadly. <laughs> the the, the, the honours go to our founding partners who were antique furniture dealers who felt that now um, the time had come to reinvigorate the slightly fading excitement about traditional works of art and the way art fairs at that point were being uh, put together. And with the demise of Grosvenor House, they very boldly decided to launch a new art fair, Masterpiece, and I was asked to join it to run the vetting at that particular moment. So the, the credit behind the idea, and I'm afraid, does not lie with me, but with, as I say, with our founder partners. But you have been there since the beginning, so you've been critical in, over the years anyway, shaping masterpiece with a sort of core definition that is still different from other fairs. How, how would you, I know you've, you've already talked a lot about this elsewhere, but how would you define um, masterpiece now as a fair? Well, I do think we're different. I, I think one of the goals was to both reinvigorate a market that was perhaps losing popularity and interest and to come up with a new way of presenting works of art to beguile and entice both existing and new collectors to the market. And I think the core principle of how we've accomplished this is our cross-collecting ethos. As you well know yourselves, we're a multidisciplinary fair, and we are, I think, very careful in the way we mix our exhibitors up, not by discipline, but by sort of intellectual curiosity. So rather than keeping all our old master picture dealers in one corner and our furniture dealers in another, which is not how you should look at works of art, it's not how you should furnish, it's not how you should collect, we've really worked hard to provide an overall experience, um, a real sensory um, experience of imagining works of art in their best context. And it gives you the opportunity, I mean, serendipity is a word I use a lot, to come across works of art that you, you might not have come across yourself. I mean, be a long-standing collector or a novice. Right. No, and I, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Masterpiece, having been an exhibitor from nearly the beginning. And I, often, I mean, I often say, you know, an art fair like life should be fun. And Masterpiece is fun. It's bright and has wide aisles and great places to eat and drink. And the colors are light and gay. I mean, it's just a fun fair to be at. So, so you've I, succeeded. I, I, I think I absolutely agree with you. Fun is a word I, I use a lot. And I think it's incredibly important and, and not, to be, not to be too serious. I'm not saying you want to be frivolous at all. But, I mean, to present this world in a way that is engaging in surroundings which are enticing and glamorous, I think is not so important. And I think one of the ways that we also have perhaps set us apart is the emphasis we place on education and knowledge, the sharing of that knowledge from 
all of our dealers who are passionate scholars in their own fields and um, deeply enthusiastic in communicating this knowledge. And I think, you know, our role, it sounds rather pompous, but our role in sort of nurturing new buyers, new potential collectors, but the younger dealers and scholars and so on, is the part of masterpiece that to me is, is incredibly important. Well, I mean, talking here now about the fun and the engagement and the interest, it just makes me like miss it even more. <laughs> so I guess that brings me to sort of the main topic that I wanted to discuss with you and hear what you thought is um, what what now? I mean, Masterpiece has gone digital. It had to. You can't have an art fair next week. And so um, there's been a lot written already, and there's um, sort of a hot topic right now. What about the art world for art fairs, as well as auction houses and everything else, and digital platforms? There's been a lot written about the shortcomings, and I suppose there are there's some written about the advantages. One advantage is it can take place at all. So I'm sure you've thought a great deal about this, Philip. You couldn't run an art fair and not think about it. So let's talk about it. Well, I think for us, I mean, we've given it a huge amount of consideration and we've seen and looked closely at what, what others are doing, both in, in terms of fairs, but the equipped auctions and, and dealers, and many of whom are our exhibitors, of course. And we wanted to find a way to really emphasize the ethos of the fair, not to lose uh, the excitement of the fair, the cross-collecting interest of the fair, the educational opportunities of the fair, and indeed, and most importantly, um, the opportunities for our exhibitors to uh, continue to do business. And so the, the, um, the solutions are? I, I think that, I, I think that you know, the solutions are, it's really important that we make this a, a draw and enticing. We want to make people come to visit our, our uh, Masterpiece online website, which is very much driven by the knowledge and expertise of our exhibitors. We have engaged as much as we can with all of our exhibitors to hold conversations by doing Instagram feed, short films, which we are videoing, to really explain and to exchange that passion with our audience. We have a very good talks and lecture program, which I'm very pleased about, which again, our exhibitors and our museum colleagues are all participating in. And I think this will give us the opportunity to to reach through a new audience. And I think one of the, the excitements about having to think in this way is that actually we, we, can, we should be able, we hope, and I'm sure we will be able to reach a whole audience who has not in the past been physically able, been able to physically visit the fair. And how, um, um, how you know, uh, I agree that the, the interviews, the Instagram, that's a very good thing because, you know, person-to-person contact is something that people lack in, in say, just a series of viewing rooms. But are you going to try to orchestrate these various um, interrelated digital platforms to create synergy between them or 
enhance what people call the buzz of a fair? I very much hope so. I think you know, we have an extraordinarily interesting group of, of passionate people talking about these subjects. And I think one of the advantages, as it were, and I think you know, as a physical fair, you will know how hard we have worked at removing the sort of barriers of approachability to, um, uh, for those who, particularly for those who are new to this world. And I think, curiously, through the online messaging and talks and so on, we can make a much more intimate experience, in a way, for people who are less experienced in, 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 with this world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about things like, I mean, you can't replicate, you can replicate some of the social interactions, I suppose, and maybe create a buzz, but of course you can't replicate anything of the socializing, eating and drinking. You're not going to have like Zoom cocktail parties to discuss, have people discuss their purchases. That element is is much more difficult too. I mean, we are, for example, I mean, last year we pioneered our young collectors group. And this year we've seen it very much as an opportunity to expand this group. And we are putting together a program of online films and very, very short films, or 30 second films, 40 second films by young collectors to talk about something in their collections, to broaden this up, to engage in a conversation. And we will have a webinar where people can engage in conversation and discussions. Yeah, that's so great. I think there will be an element. I think there will be an element of that. We're having this year again where we have a symposium every year, which we are doing online this year or two, two sessions, two evening sessions. And that will be very much audience engaged conversations. Um, and talks with those those who are participating. So where we can, we are trying to engage, actually engage our audience. I think through our short films, through our Instagram films, and through the videos that our exhibitors are putting on our website, I think this will, will bring a, a, a great sense of intimacy as far as is possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. Let's move to the idea of a um, modified fair. Obviously, that's not possible in in June, but one has really no idea how long this will go on. <clears throat> and I wonder what your thoughts are. Again, you probably haven't had to consider it for Masterpiece alone, but the idea of a toned-down fair with social distancing, multiple openings of booths, restricting the number of people in a booth, um, restricting the number of people in a tent. I wonder what you feel about such solutions and a fair. I think it's very complicated, and I don't think we have the answers yet at all. I think that we will need to see how things pan out over the next few months. I think it is absolutely possible to put together a fair that allows for the physical restrictions that may be required or currently required. Maybe that um, I think it's unlikely at the moment, anyhow, that you know we would we would be able to have preview days with you know thousands of people visiting one site. I think we will have to. Um, grade things and tier things and do them in smaller numbers. I think one of the problems is not losing the inclusivity of what we do. If one has to make it too exclusive in terms of restricting numbers in order to to, to, to accomplish necessities that may be in place. Well, dealers Um, sort of see um, fares as the more the better. I mean, not the more fares the better, but the more people the better. And 
I mean, Masterpiece does a fabulous job getting in a really good attendance and it's free for the most part. So it's not hugely expensive and you know, you don't set up a lot of hurdles to people visiting it. So I think for, and, and fairs are expensive for dealers to do and they're expensive for the fair organizers to run. So I think as a dealer, the idea of like, well, let's just have a few people and limit the amount, it's sort of like, well, count me out. I don't know. It's very hard to imagine a kind of uh, I, restricted fair. Um, I, I agree. I think, I think there will inevitably have to be some sort of balance begin with to people in terms of numbers i think that's absolutely doable it may be that one has a longer series of openings as it were of previews going forward i think it will be possible to uh, rearrange physically the, the the space of the fair and the layout of the fair to take note of of, of everything that's required in terms of visitor uh, comfort as it were and the necessity well, we'll see, won't we? I mean, Masterpiece is coming at a very critical time, I think, for the art the art world and the art market. After Tough Off Maastricht, there was really only Freeze, which didn't have a lot of time to put together a digital program, as it were. So I think the, everyone's looking toward Masterpiece to see how how you solve this. Um, and certainly, it seems to me like the art world um, is ready for action, as it were. I think there will be a, a tremendous amount of pent-up thirst for now and certainly, and certainly for next year as well. And I think, I, I do think there's a pent-up thirst. And I think you know, one of the things that to me is, is, is actually very interesting about all of this is that, I mean, absolutely nothing can beat a physical fair, nothing can beat right. the possibility and necessity of handing an object, seeing a painting yeah, exactly. firsthand, speaking to you know, the passionate um, dealer and scholar face-to-face. That absolutely is irreplaceable. That right. will not go away. It has temporarily gone away this year. What I think will happen is, is I think we will continue next year to strengthen our online offerings and I very much see the online element of the fair very positively as a way to bring in a new audience. We've done, I hope, reasonably well with bringing a new audience into our physical fairs over the last few years um, as it is and I think the opportunities that the um, online digital aspects can play to bring in a new audience to, to, to benefit benefit our exhibitors with a new group of um, um, web buyers and collectors. Yeah, I think one of the I things think... you're doing a good job with, at least from my perspective, is to uh, make that online experience as um, transactional and personal as possible. You know, not yeah. just viewing rooms, but interactions with people about works of art because otherwise um, it's just you know an art fair is partly about the client talking to the dealer about the work of art so there's this like trio object dealer client and um, to replicate that online successfully that will be really an achievement um, if masterpiece is able to do that I think it's tricky, and I very much hope that we can, in large part, try and accomplish that. It, it is these conversations, the dialogue, that's so incredibly important. And 
you will, I very much see masterpieces as, you know, as this great sort of Roman agora, this great marketplace where people not only come to buy works of art, but they come to learn and to look. And it's through the learning and the looking and the um, increased confidence that people derive from that that they then go on to start buying works of art and to become collectors. Right. I love the idea of a Ferris and Agora. I wanted to ask you, because probably people don't think so much about this. I mean, of course, a fair is an Agora and a marketplace, and it's a business, and a fair like Masterpiece, every fair. I mean, you must make much of the money to continue to run the fair, not just with dealer booth rentals, but restaurants and bars and services that are offered there. It's hard for me to imagine how a fair as a business can really continue to support itself with only online platforms. Could you talk to our our listeners a little about that? Well, it's obviously a very pertinent question, a, a challenging problem. Restaurants, for example, at the fair, they may be a little bit different from restaurants elsewhere. We've set extremely high standards um, and therefore very high costs associated with those. And it's been a tremendous investment for us. We are going to have to look at all sorts of of, of different ways, um, potentially with the physical fair of how we charge. I think transparency about this is enormously important. As you know, we have no variation in pricing. We have no tiers in place, which is beginning to happen in other fairs, contemporary fairs, particularly with a sort of variation over the sort of square meter price. I think that's something that that is not something that we are keen on. And I think also with a multidisciplinary fair, um, it's very, very different. I mean, because of the breadth of our exhibitors and and, and the variety of disciplines and price points, I think that's a a tricky, a tricky route to go down. I suppose um, I one thing a fair could do, it sounds like you haven't implemented this this year, but the more digital a fair becomes, the more they have to figure out ways of making some money. And so I suppose charging a percentage for every uh, sale that happens through dealers on an, in an online platform would be an option, for example. I think we have to look at all, all the different elements, and I think there are one or two fairs that have begun going down that direction. I, it, I think it is something that's really too early to comment to comment on. Yes, of course. That uh, who knows what the future holds in terms of economic viability of digital platforms. Um, certainly, they can never really substitute. I- no, I mean, we will have to find a careful route through that that is as of our exhibitors as possible. This year, as you know, there's no additional charge for our exhibitors this year to participate in what we're doing. Going forward, we may have to uh, look at this slightly differently. But equally, I think I very much see our online activities going forward as being um, supplementary to a physical affair. So I, I, there's a, a more of an overall approach that we can take to this as we, as we go forward. Yeah, a colleague of mine pointed out that the one marketplace where online has been so successful and in some cases can completely replace the face-to-face meeting is the dating scene. I, I, I thought that that was such an interesting point. Like, you know, that there are people who 
you know, meet online and spend two years online and the first time they see each other face to face, they get married. Are there any, made me think, are there any transpositions from how the, the dating scene has managed the digital platform to an art fair? I think that's, I think that's really, really, really interesting and, and really fascinating. I suppose to a certain point Instagram does that because one follows people on Instagram and form relationships in, ways in, in, in that way. I think people will be becoming much more comfortable doing things online. Much, it will become much more normal for certain groups of people to buy things online, to learn online. I think the demographic will change. I think we will find that through our online websites, we can encourage groups of people who are out, not part of the art world so much at the moment, but are used to buying fashion, for example, online. Um, I think the younger generation who live online won't find it as strange and different as, as perhaps some of my generation do. Right, the art world may become a bigger place, and I, I, I think there are great opportunities for this. And uh, maybe, uh, a, yeah, and maybe as you say, um, attract more younger people. I think it's a very exciting moment, and I, I think, you know, I think everybody, is, for whatever fields they, they, the backgrounds they come from, is looking at, at ways of expanding their audiences and growing new client bases, collector bases, and people are buying differently. There are, there are a group of people who are very comfortable buying online and they seem comfortable buying without seeing things. I mean, that's not my view, but, but it is happening. One can't ignore that. And I think very much, you know, you, you know if, if people are particularly coming from the fashion world, I think that, that where buying online and looking at things online is a, a very strong, uh, there's a very strong presence of that. And, and so I, I, think there, I think there are tremendous possibilities, which is why I think for us, the importance of continuing with our online, uh, with Masterpiece Online in future years in parallel with our physical fair will be hugely advantageous. Well, I'm rooting for, um, I'm rooting for Masterpiece Online this year. I'm very curious at how you will succeed, um, as I'm sure you will, I certainly hope you will, in trying to create some of the buzz and excitement, which hasn't, I don't think, been true uh, for other fairs that have tried to take advantage solely of digital platforms. So everyone is watching, Philip, um, as you go forward, and we're very close to it. It's just next week, right? Well... Well, we are, and we're, we're, we're about to start next week, which is very much on my mind at the moment as I have the machinery in front of me in terms of microphones and lights and so on to start um, filming and getting ready for our virtual views of the fair, where I and others will be leading virtual tours, as it were. Um, either some will be done by discipline, some will be done by you know, one's own personal interests and highlights and so on. And I hope that this will be a very uh, personal way. And it's through the, through the, I think the personal approach brings people to looking and engaging with works of art. And I think at Masterpiece, we try very hard to engage completely and fully, both with our exhibitors and with our visitors. And that is with pers personal conversations, personal interaction. 
And I think by us producing groups of short, focused views of the fair is a way to further build on this. I agree, because there you get works of art and the people. Actually, we're filming, on Tuesday, we're filming our, um, or maybe it's today, we're filming our little RGTV um, tour of works of art in the gallery with me talking, so we will participate. Well, I know you'll do it brilliantly, but it, it is so often people want to hear about why you like something, why something appeals to you as much as why the object or the painting is actually what it is. And I think it's those personal insights that we can all, I hope, give that will help encourage people to, um, to engage with our online presence. Absolutely. Well, Philip, I'm going to let you go back to your paradise um, in the Channel <laughs> Islands in Jersey. I was going to ask you, though, when you're not working on Masterpiece, are you a fan of these BBC TV shows that are so hot now? Or are you just wandering your wildflower garden and, you know, look at your works of art and... Stare at the sunset. I've been trying to stare at the sunset a bit, and, and wandering around the garden is, of course, absolutely magical. But it's also nice to have a, a bit of a diversion. And I read a lot. And um, yes, I think to have something that takes one away from where one's mind is at for 99.5% of, of the time, it's good to have alternative things. And um, um, I mean, I've actually been watching a rather an, a good series um, by Julian Fellows on BBC called The English Game. Um, the English Game, the, the, it's called? The English Game, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is not cricket. <laughs> so that's different um, than, um, than running an art fair, but you're not watching Killing Eve, I take it. No, no, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Anyway, Philip, I'm, it's so generous of you to take the time, especially at this moment when you're extremely busy, to talk to us. And we're all rooting for Masterpiece and for you, and we're rooting for a real live fair a year from now, but we're rooting for this one, and everyone's watching, with, um, watching eagerly for next week. So thank you again so much. Well, Sandra, thank you very much indeed. And um, as, as you say, we are all looking forward to next week. Okay, Philip, enjoy the wildflowers in Jersey. I will. Thank, <laughs> thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. This has been a Laison Lumiere podcast. I'm Kristen Ragnello editor and producer of the Les Lumière podcast. Our current digital exhibition, The Experience of Pairings, A May Bouquet of Rings, is an exhibition of historic rings that's now on view. You can experience unexpected and delightful combinations of medieval and Renaissance rings alongside complementary flowers. In other programming, every Friday, keep an eye out for Les Lumière's Friday Favorites, our newest online initiative highlighting favorite manuscripts, rings, and miniatures. These are candid, casual conversations with our experts, often recorded from the comfort of our own home offices. Thanks for listening. 